This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Five Wives Vodka, Market Source Real Estate, and Podcasting is Easy. We're going to be telling you more about them throughout this episode. All right. I want to personally welcome you out today to a brand new episode of I Am Salt Lake Podcast. I know there's a couple of you, probably, hopefully, this is your first time listening to the show. I want to welcome you to the podcast. You're probably asking yourself, what am I in for? What is this podcast all about? Well, this podcast is all about showcasing awesome people right here in Salt Lake City. We sit down and we chat with musicians, authors, business owners, restaurant owners, distilleries, breweries. I think you get the idea. We're chatting with anyone that might have a cool story to share about something awesome they're doing right here in Salt Lake City. So I want to welcome you out today to episode 373. My name is Chris. I'm with my awesome co-host, Christina. How are you doing over there today? Well, I get to hang out with you, so I'm doing fantastic. We actually have a really cool interview today with local mural artist, Josh Sherman. I love talking to him and hearing about how he started, what inspired him to do something so huge. And he talked to us about his photography, murals he's done around the city, and what he loves about living in Utah. So I'm just really excited to share his story with everyone. We actually met Josh uh, a while back out at Market Source Real Estate. It was like, I believe it was right in the middle of uh, him painting the mural. Yeah. We met at the gallery stroll there, I want to say, and it was just such a great conversation. I told you, I remember we left that night and I'm like, we got to bring this guy on the podcast, have him share his whole story. So really honored to bring him on the show. Thank you so much. Uh, but we're recording today right in beautiful downtown Salt Lake City in our podcast studio, which is located in the back of Empire Merchandise. Full disclosure, this is actually my brother's shop, and they are located right at 680 South State Street. Now, not only does Empire have an amazing selection of vape juice and vape accessories, but this is where you can actually come in, stop on by, and you can buy your very own I Am Salt Lake podcast t-shirt. Show off to the rest of Salt Lake City what your favorite podcast is, right guys? So stop on in, check this place out, and pick up a t-shirt why you're here. And if you haven't had a chance to join our Facebook group yet, I think it's about time. We have an amazing community of listeners and we really want you to be a part of it. I love the conversations that we get to have in there. Like someone was visiting Salt Lake recently and asked the group where they could find old elevators in the city to check out. And everybody was helpful, jumped in, got this amazing list of old elevators that now, of course, I want to go visit. There's something for everybody. You should come in, add your voice to the group. You can find the group by searching for I Am Salt Lake Community inside of Facebook, or you can just type in IamSaltLake.com forward slash group, and that will forward you right to the Facebook group. Before we jump into that conversation with Josh, let's tell you about one of our awesome sponsors, Market Source Real Estate. I know we were just mentioning them about the mural that uh, Josh painted on the side of their building, but I want to tell you a little bit about them. I know we have a lot of listeners that are looking to move to Salt Lake City. And the reason I know that is because they are sending me emails. They don't know where to go. They don't know where to buy a house. Well, this is where you need to contact our friends, Monique and Jeremy Higginson of Market Source Real Estate. For the past 17 years, Monique and Jeremy have been specializing in helping people buy and sell homes in the Sugar House and the greater Salt Lake area. They have a background of flipping houses and they've owned almost two dozen homes themselves. So they know all the ins and outs of older homes. If you're looking to sell your home, I know there's a few of you that are like, I want to move across town, or maybe I have a job offer outside of town. So if you're looking to sell your home, Market Source Real Estate, they specialize in helping sellers update or even repair their homes, which of course will increase their value and make you more money. If you are looking to buy an old home, they know what to look for in older homes so you don't end up buying a money pit. You can find all their information as well as really cool blog posts at thinksaltlakecity.com. Again, that website is thinksaltlakecity.com. Or you can just give them a call, 801-810-6773. Of course, mention that you heard about them on this podcast. And of course, many thanks to Market Source Real Estate for sponsoring this episode. Let's jump into that conversation that we had with Josh Sherman when he came and sat down with us to share his story Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy. Here's a question we like to start the show off, Josh. What did your childhood smell like? I would say earth, like dirt. The reason is um, I grew up in West Valley and my family were 
essentially farmers. And so at a young age, my uh, grandparents had a house and 14 acres down by um, Alpine Highway. And so they had a farm and that farm was a couple horses, chickens, and then and bailing hay and growing hay and growing vegetables. And my uncle in West Valley had an acre that he'd farm every summer. And my first job was to pull weeds and sell produce out in West Valley on the corner. I've always, I still have a garden and I've always had a garden, but I remember just from a very young age being on a farm and growing up and growing vegetables. Did you ever get a jump onto the hay bales in the barn? Yes. And on the loading in the truck too. Oh, And then my grandma, my grandpa used to make bows and arrows out of twitches, um, sticks. Oh, wow. So we'd go and shoot arrows, like make the actual arrows and bows and go shoot those in the bales of hay. That's legit childhood. Yeah. So you grew up in West Valley. Yep. Did you ever leave Utah or have you always just been here your whole life? Uh, Living. Yeah. Um, I grew up in West Valley and then went to college in St. George at Dixie. Okay. So right after um, high school. So 97 to 99, that was the last year as a junior college. And so lived there for two years and then moved back up here, back in West Valley for a year. And then eventually ended up in uh, the grandparents' house that I spoke of for a year or five years, actually. And then moved into my current house in Sugar House now. What was life like in St. George? Did you like going to school in St. George? Was that a cool place to go to school? It was. It was. I I categorize it as... um, there's three groups of people down there. It was college kids, cops, and retired folks. <laughs> and that was it. The reason I asked, I couldn't imagine living down there. It just seems like it would be kind of boring. At that age, I'd, it was just different. And because it was junior college, it was kind of off the radar of, you know, people would go down there for spring break. It was warm. There's palm trees. And it was just different. I mean, growing up in Utah, obviously, we have snow. We have four seasons. We have all this. And you go down there, and it was like, one season or two. It's just St. George's palm trees. It doesn't even make sense to be in Utah still. And as I've gotten older, you know, I was under 21, so it didn't really matter that there was no bars. There's one bar still in St. George. So that nightlife wasn't there. It was just more of uh, being around other peers that are the same age, going to, to school, Zion's recreation there. Like snowboarding was an hour away at Brian Head. It, it had all the amenities that Salt Lake does. It was just different. Did you go to Vegas a lot at all? Yeah, I'd spent some uh, New Year's in Vegas and Wendover and mm-hmm. kind of got sick of that really quick. Yeah. Too much. So what what did you study at Dixie then? What Or, or was it just general? It's just general. So when I went there um, in 99, they, in well, 2000, they became a university. So up to that point, there was only two degrees. You could get associates of art or associates of science. And I mean, junior college, you can't really do much besides generals. So I just did that generals. And right when I left, I fell in my last math class and I was taking summer quarter. And so to this day, I still don't have any degrees because so I'm one close. credit shy. Oh man. I have a similar story about high school, half a credit shy. <laughs> <laughs> Super fun. Now what guy, I mean, have you always, so just to kind of bounce ahead a little bit, you, the, well, the three of us, we connected at a market source real estate event. You were painting, I uh, I think Jeremy might have introduced us because you were painting the mural yeah, correct. on the uh, Market Source Real Estate Building, which I found fascinating, right? You know, you don't always run into mural artists here in, in Salt Lake. We've had a couple on the show, but have you always, to kind of bounce ahead a little bit of that, I was curious, like if you were studying art at school or have you always just been artistic, interested in drawing or or when did that really come into the picture? So when I was um, young, I didn't know this, obviously, until I got older, but I couldn't see far away. So I'm nearsighted still. So I'd, I could, I mean, I did I couldn't explain how my childhood could have been different by it. But in school, um, in elementary, I'd always get in trouble for just drawing because I'd be sitting in the back of the class or in the middle. I wouldn't be able to see what's on the chalkboard. And so I wasn't paying attention or I wasn't doing the work, but I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. And so I just draw and I'd always get in trouble. I have to call my mom, go to the principal's office because I wasn't participating. And I, I, it's weird to think back as, as a child and what you understand and what you don't understand, but I did not know what was happening. And 
cognitively, obviously, I mean, I was intelligent, but I found drawing to be the only thing that I could do. So I drew a lot as a kid. Um, like what kind of stuff were you drawing? Comic dragons, books, dragons, uh, dragons and castles and army men and planes shooting with the, the dash lines that, <laughs> you know, everyone knows these little, the chains you make with the three lines and you go and the little S's and, um, I, just drew whatever from my imagination. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't try practicing drawing. Um, and I think that's even with children these days, they just want to create, they don't, there's, there's no judgment. They don't, you know, there's, there's nothing. They just want to create and it's fun for them. So I just did that for a lot. And then, um, at college, I mean, did the, the typical high school pottery class, you know, drawing class, um, through school, but I never actually studied art. So all self-taught, all self-taught. Yeah. Interesting. What got you eventually painting murals in? Um, so right when I was leaving college or a couple of years in right before 2000, I started taking photos. And so I was taking photos of concerts in Vegas and other places when I was in college. And when I came up here, I started working for slug. So from 2000 or 99 to 2006, I worked for slug as a photojournalist and photographer and, did that uh, primarily and eventually became a graphic designer and then doing graphic design. And six years ago, I went to Spain, uh, was there for three months. And by being in Spain for three months, you think, oh, this is really exciting. There's nothing. It's paradise. But I got really bored. And so there's a giant wall. It's about 80 feet or 100 feet by 20 feet that there was a uh, local graffiti artist um, from Croatia that painted his name on it. And he was really proficient, really well-known graffiti artist in this city. And I asked him if I could paint over his one tag that was on this building. And it was by a canal. It was really the worst place to paint because I had to put a ladder in the canal, move it in the mud and all this stuff. But I took a month and I was able to paint uh, the city from a viewpoint uh, vantage above the city, looking at the city. So I just painted the city for that. I was there for a month. What did you paint it with, like spray paint? Or It was actually, what? I went to the dump and I found like, you know, when you would go and get rid of house paint, um, mm-hmm. like our local Like cleanup. latex paint or yes. whatever. And basically just anything. <laughs> wow. And then really cheap uh, white paint. And I was able to paint this mural, fairly inexpensive. And I really had no idea what I was doing. And it worked. And how, like how, like how big I'm trying to paint a picture, paint a picture and no pun intended. <laughs> how big, like so 80 feet or a hundred feet is, is quite big. I mean, I'm trying to put a reference in just, salt, just salt a lake. huge, a huge, a huge yeah, wall. It's huge. really big, yeah, like roller and, and paintbrush. And that's all I used. What made you like, what made you see that wall and think, I'm going to go ask this guy if I can paint over his tag. So yeah, this one building, it used to be the old slaughterhouse. I mean, the city's been there since 1600s. It's long. The city owned property, but it was full of tags. The whole building was full of tags, except for this one outside wall because it was next to the canal. You had about a foot to stand on, and then you'd fall in the water. So this one wall hadn't been, I mean, it was made out of sand, like sand bricks from a long time ago. And it's right at the entrance of the city. So you would see this wall going and coming into the city. And, you know, it was kind of crumbly, kind of decrepit. And this one tag on it, it was kind of faded and just needed paint on it. It just needed like, uh, the joke was we'd see all those old dilapidated houses in Spain and be like, Oh, it all needs a fresh coat of paint mm-hmm. and we could move in. And that's what it looked like it needed. So painting that wall really was exciting. Cause I didn't think that I could do something that large and to jump back like 10 years ago. So I did start painting at 30 and to kind of get back to where, you know, I started painting. I didn't paint growing up. Um, I just had pencils and pens and crayons. And when I was 30, I bought $500 of paint and canvas and just started painting. And that same year, I had my first art show. And then a couple months later in Sugar House, where it used to be located on 21st and uh, next to Gold's Gym there before it moved its current location, I did a two-story mural in there of the Sugar House iconic buildings and signs. So that was, I mean, 10 years ago, 11 years ago now. And that was officially my first mural, but then I just kind of went back to painting canvas and, 
and board paintings for like five or years, five years, and tell the Spain mural. But I never thought I would be a muralist or I never thought I'd be an artist of this caliber. Um, caliber. Sure. Um, Was it different? Like, because obviously when you're, when you're drawing on a, on a, what, an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, right? Boom, you have that in front of you. But then when you have, and I, I think we were talking about this with Shay, how do you envision, let's even just look at this wall in our podcast studio. It's just a bigger thing. Like it's well, so be, big. It's like, how do you even know, know where, where things are? How, things, you know, I mean, like, like if you accidentally make something too small, it, 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 or too big, it just scales exponentially. The whole thing. Right? Like right. you have to really yeah. know how big of a wall you're working with or yeah. is it really, I mean, I guess that's just a talent that you kind of, I think you just learn it. And that's, um, I really like the podcast with Shay. Maybe it's easier to, uh, for us to grasp it yeah. and it's, and it's harder for other people to see. Well, cause I'm not an artist by any means. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, I could draw stick figures. Well, oh, I got something to say about that, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> so with the wall, it's, what I've learned is it basically takes the same amount of time to paint a big wall as a small canvas. Really? Because you're using bigger brushes or rollers or aerosol cans. You're using something that spreads out faster. But if you're working on a small canvas, you're literally using small brushes. It's more like just to scale. It like is to scale. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, different, different techniques, project it, block it, draw it, freeform it. I like to do take a picture of the wall and then in Photoshop, put another picture of what I want to paint on that wall and then drop it, you know, 50% opacity. So you can see through that image and you can kind of put, uh, well, this, you know, area is this big and you can, you can kind of look through it and you basically just freehand it from there. Did you have like a mentor or anything before you started doing any walls or not really, I guess not like somebody that or let me rephrase that. Like, how did you know? I don't know. Never mind. It does. It doesn't matter. Like, I, like how did you just decide one day to paint a wall? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you kind of, I guess you were kind of saying that with that, with in Spain and stuff, but yeah. And, and literally I just gave a talk for design week a couple of years ago and it was called act like you know what you're doing. And it's essentially the story of my life. I don't know what I'm doing. I just do it. You just do it. And Fake it till you make it, man. Exactly. It works. And, and I don't, I have zero degrees, but I'm a photographer. I'm a designer. I'm an artist. I'm a muralist, uh, community activist, and none of this stuff I didn't go to school for. I just just figure it, it out. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the best way to learn anything is through experience. And if you don't try and fail, then you don't have the experience of at least trying. And that goes back to the stick figure. So when I'm painting a wall, it could be like the Bears' mural was 80 feet by... And where's this mural for people listening? Uh, across the street from Fisher Brewery. Okay. And that was two years ago. And it's Bearsers National Monument. We had just lost um, outdoor retailer because of the fight over Bearsers National Monument. And so when they packed up and left, I felt my friend Randy Nelson had already tried to get artists to do um, something like Crush Walls in Denver or the Mural Fest in Miami where we were going to get a bunch of artists together and do a bunch of walls. We eventually got the money from Salt Lake city and that became the granary mural project for the district. But in the meantime, I saw this wall across from Fisher and I was like, that it's a big wall. It's like capped with a, on the roof. It's kind of enclosed in. I'm like, so same thing with the, with the wall in Spain. I looked at it. I was like, Oh, that would be actually a really good wall to paint. So I put a proposal into the city, contacted the right people, seven months of red tape and oh, wow. figuring out because it's city wall. That's commitment, man. I would, I would not last that long. And then I was allowed to paint it. The mayor signed off on it and I painted that wall and that was for free as well. Um, I paid for the paint because I felt like that billboard of Bearsers National Monument was a good way to remind people of what, you know, in Salt Lake, we don't see that. We didn't, we're not reminded of every day. And so just visually to see Southern Utah on that scale is, is pretty remarkable. And after doing that wall two years ago, I was able to do in the last year, like 10 more murals, I think because that one garnered a lot of attention, but it also allowed me to like try hard things because I was staring at that wall for a long time and it was intimidating and I learned like, oh, just start. As soon as you start, 
you kind of, you know, that fear dissipates. Let's actually take a quick break. We need to play a couple messages from our sponsors. And then when we come back, I want to talk about some of these other murals that you did because maybe some people have seen them around town, right? You don't know. So, so hang tight. We'll be right back. All right. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by the very local, the very tasty, the very delicious Five Wives Vodka. Every time you take a shot of Five Wives Vodka, you are supporting this podcast. The next time you head on over to the state liquor store, make sure to pick up a bottle. The next time you head on over to your favorite local bar, ask for Five Wives Vodka by name. They actually have three different flavors that we're going to tell you about. They have the original Five Wives Vodka. This is the one that's made from Utah Mountain Spring Water. It's 100% distilled corn spirit, and it's gluten-free. The spring is hidden in beautiful Ogden Canyon, so it's actually inaccessible by vehicle, so they they have to actually hike this water out five gallons at a time. That's why it's so delicious. You know what I like to do? I like to make a good old-fashioned five Greyhounds with the original flavor. All you need to do is mix one and a half ounces of Five Wives Vodka with five ounces of grapefruit juice and enjoy. Ooh, that sounds it's really delicious. tasty. But for those of you who like a little more spice in your drink, you can check out Five Wives Sinful. Sinful is delicious cinnamon-flavored vodka. And unlike other cinnamon products that give you that cinnamon candy taste, Sinful is like a morning cinnamon roll with only 76 calories per ounce. There's also the Five Wives Heavenly. This is a flavored vodka with their delicious vanilla taste. Heavenly's rich, buttery vanilla flavor it comes through without coating your taste buds with sugar, and this results in more vanilla and less calories. Head on over to their website, fivewivesvodka.com. This is where you can find out more about them, okay? And I think they have recipes up there. They have some history up there. You can find out more about the product. But like I said in the very beginning of this, just go pick up a bottle at the state liquor store. If you've never had an opportunity to try it, pick up a bottle. I guarantee you're going to be sending me a message on Facebook and saying, oh my gosh, Chris, you are right. Five Wise Vodka is the way to go. It is smooth. You cannot go wrong. Every time you take a shot of Five Wives Vodka, you are supporting this podcast. So, of course, many thanks to Five Wives Vodka for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let's jump back into that conversation that we had with local Salt Lake City mural artist, Josh Sherman. Now, before we uh, went to a sponsor break there, you were mentioning how you've done multiple murals around Salt Lake City. And I just thought it would be fun to maybe if... You care to talk about a few of them? Maybe people have seen them around town. I mean, we got the Bears Ears ones. That one's at, by Fisher Brewery, which is, what is that? 300, about, about 300 West in. Yeah, three, in, 350 West, 8 South. 8 South. Yeah. Then you did the Market Source Real Estate on there, right? Yep, which is uh, across from Soup Kitchen, right in front of Sugar House Coffee. What are some of the other ones that you maybe have done that maybe people have seen, or maybe you haven't done it? I don't know. No. So right on the side of Fisher Brewery, actually, I did um, one for that Granary District mural fest. So Fisher Brewery was actually the largest brewery in Utah from 1864 to, or 1884 to 1960. And I got old archive photos um, and painted those on the wall of Fisher as well. Um, so the Fisher Brewery Bears Ears mural um, on the sign and numbered for Mural Fest last year, um, about 2100 and West Temple, painted Arches National uh, Park on that one, Sugar House, and then C9 Flats, which is a new apartment building on 2nd and 2nd West, 11th South. I've done four murals there. So, so people, I mean, people can hire you, right? Listeners can hire certainly, you. Certainly, yes. Yeah. Certainly, yeah. Certainly, <laughs> I mean, how does that process work? They just kind of come to you with an idea or do they kind of let you run with an idea? So it's both. Um, I'm currently painting an industry, which is a new company out of Denver that just is coming here. And that was a really not a mural is more interior design, which was hard for me to actually, you know, I can look at a picture and paint a, paint what I see, but conceptually doing interior design is a whole separate skill set. So that, that was a different mural. And then I did one for my neighbor. Her husband passed away. So I did picture. He proposed to her at the base of Everest. So I painted Everest Mountains on cinder block wall by her garage. And, you know, it really depends. I was able to quit my job six months ago to paint. So like the starving artist is a real thing. And I've known only two artists that have done 
art full-time for 20 plus years. Every other artist has a side job. I've worked until, you know, six months ago and painted in my art studio house or painted in my free time. But now it's um, actually happening. So I'm trying to get as much work as I possibly can. And when the, when the client doesn't have an idea, it's liberating and it's also like scary, like market source in Sugar House, they wanted, you know, I proposed several ideas and they said, well, what about this 1940 photo of Sugar House? And the reaction from just passerbys and people coming and going to the coffee shop was great. Even older couples or older elderly people would come by and be like, oh, I remember that. You know, when I was a little kid, we'd get ice cream at that shop. Or, you know, I remember because it was 1939 photo, 1940. And people remember what Sugar House looked like then. And so that was really interesting as well. Kind of different take. It's kind of cool. Um, I, I remember when I met you, you explained to me the Fisher Brewery mural too. And that's kind of the same theme, isn't it, that you did there? Like you, you painted the old Fisher Brewery on the wall. Could you like it kind of explain how that came up? Because I thought that was a really cool idea. Well, I mean, that was my first black and white mural, which I had not knowing again what I'm doing. It's a 40 foot wall by about 17 feet. And I painted it with a one inch brush and a half inch which brush. Is very small. Yeah, it's very <laughs> small because the detail in the photo. And that took a month and a half. And when it, the sun hit it, so I could paint from like nine in the morning to noon and then from 12 to four, I couldn't paint because the sun was directly on it and paint would dry too fast. So then I have to go back and then I put some floodlights up and work through the night some nights. And same thing with the Sugar House one, also with a one inch brush. And people are like, oh, why don't you use spray paint? It's like, well, one, I'm not that proficient. I've never used spray paint really. And then I see Shay or some other artists who do spray paint. I'm like, whoa. But it's just a different technique. It's different medium. And so I've learned, like, even Bears Ears was done with a roller and a brush, like 9-inch roller, 4-inch roller, and that, you know, 80 feet, that was pretty easy to cover a lot of groundwork with a roller, but also painting a mural with a roller is kind of seems insane as well. Mm -hmm. But it's cool. I mean, that that just goes to prove that, like, there's no right way. Like, you make amazing art and Shay makes amazing art, and it's completely, completely different methods of doing it, but they're still both really cool. Yeah, and my uh, another friend, Chuck Landvetter, he did one very close to Shay's, just north of that, and he used all of the things. He used brush, rollers, spray paint. I mean, I follow amazing artists from all over the world, and I keep thinking, like, man, I really want to get better and better and better. And I see what other artists do, and at the same time, I'm complimented because people look at my art and like, oh, that's incredible. I'm like, man. It's incredible I, to me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 It's but if awesome. I could actually do what other people do. And so, I mean, I, I like to create art, obviously, but it's still a challenge to constantly do it and get better at your craft. Were you ever involved in like the graffiti scene at all? Or it sounds like you weren't. No. The, was that ever a thing for you? The two times I ever did in college, one, it was just a really quick tag in a bad building. And the second time I got busted in. Rested by the cops. Wait, the second the <laughs> second time you go you out, you be a little more stealth. Busted. Yes. Wow. And it was just, I mean, it was a stupid move, and it was on a water tower, old water tower in St. George, and uh, so just they, like out of that '70s show. Exactly. Did you ever, did you ever see that where they drew the pot leaf up <laughs> the on that? Yeah. On the <laughs> and so, yeah, it was never in my skill set, and even then, I never grew up in an art scene, even though I was raised in Utah. Everything was happening on Central 9th or 9th and 9th, Sugar House. I mean, I didn't live in those areas. And then I lived in, you know, Lehigh, but I'd still come into the city. I've always had friends in bands. I've always been involved in the, the local scene. But until I started painting, I didn't know. I mean, I knew of artists like Trent Call. I've, I saw him when he was oh, he's my great. age at 16, 17 at um, Salt City CDs, like drawing in his books. And I see proficient artists that have books and books and so much art, and I'm just not that artist. I'd like to be. Like every time I paint, I'll go three or four months without painting, get an idea, execute that idea, and then I'll move on to something else. So people are like, what do you paint? I'm like, I don't know, because it's always different. Mm -hmm. I did a paint my number series. I did 
landscapes. I did Americana. My first show was motel signs down state street. So like it's all over the place. And I'd like really like hits you with inspiration, right? Yeah. Just inspire yeah. inspiration. And then, you know, it's all changed for 10 years. I mean, for good or bad, I'm still doing it and I don't have anything that hasn't sold. So, so are you, are you painting, you, you paint canvas then too as well, besides just murals, right? Yeah. That, canvas and panel board as well. Do you have like a website that people can see some of this stuff? Yeah, or, or JoshSherman.com. Um, I revamped that uh, website just in December because I was part of the tolerance poster campaign. It's an international campaign that came to Salt Lake. Um, it was curated by Mirko Iliak, um, renowned artist in New York, and it's going all over the world. And he wanted to see my stuff in Dallas Graham, who thankfully asked me to be the artist representing Utah, said, oh, Mirko wants to see your work. And I'm looking at my website from seven years ago and <laughs> nothing's relevant anymore. And Time to update the portfolio. Yeah. And so did that and was able to do that show. So right now, just like murals, design and photos. And I still take concert photos, um, doing that for 20 years. For fun or do you sell the photos? Yeah, basically for fun. I worked for CD Weekly for three and a half years. So basically a promotion arm for them and all the, the bars that invest in us, I'd go out and sure. shoot photos. And then before that was slug, like, so I still go out and take concert photos. I will not shoot weddings ever. Except Why is for that? friends? <laughs> because it's just a nightmare. Yeah. That, well, everybody I ask, that's what they say, but I wanted to hear your answer. If maybe you had a specific reason. Well, I couldn't imagine. I mean, I couldn't have imagined. people are probably so picky, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, and they just have, I mean, well, I'm sure, I'm sure in that particular topic, wedding yeah. Photos oh yeah, all, all my friends, um, that's my gift to them. When my friends got married, I've, I've shot probably eight weddings and it's only my friends' weddings. And my gift is I'll take, I'll take the, the photos, put it in a book and give it to you. That's as long gift. as you shut up. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't, don't, uh, shut up and say thank don't, you. <laughs> don't go to Pinterest and look at all the great photos uh, that you see there and want to capture that same thing because it's not that same thing. Do it's, you think this is totally off topic, but do you think Pinterest has been good or bad for artists slash society? Do you think it's like putting more why, expectations why, on like photographers? Does it put a little bit more heavy expectations on wedding photographers? It certainly is actually. And so Etsy, I'm not on Etsy. Other friends are on Etsy and selling their art, selling their art. Yeah. Pinterest. I, you know, I get a lot of referrals, not a lot, but a few referrals like, Oh, I want this. I saw it on Pinterest and it's like, okay, well I can do that but I don't really like to copy other people's stuff. I want to be able to come up with my own ideas and it's not bad. I mean, even if want someone wanted to have, you know, something they found on Pinterest or Etsy, like I want that. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, yeah, if you pay me, I can do that. But I also don't like to do that. Right. That's the whole point like of being morally, an artist yeah. is to create something new that hasn't existed in the world. I think, I mean, tattoo artists have kind of the same problem. I think that's just an interesting thing with Pinterest. Now that we all have access to stuff we kind of are limiting artists by what we've already found. Yeah. Like non-artists. Even muralists. So right now, South Salt Lake is going to do Mural Fest again. And they're teaming artists up with buildings. And then your job is to go and talk to the business owner, come up with an idea, concept, and then execute that and do a mural. The interesting thing is when people are like, all right, I'm going to paint something on your wall. They want something they like. And not necessarily what the customers would like more mm -hmm. or what you would like to do. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. it is one thing for a customer, but it's also like, who's going to see this? Like, how is this branding going to work? Same with graphic design, like reflect your business, not what you personally want or like. I mean, that can be in the same vein, mm -hmm. but keep them separate kind of. It's interesting, and I never thought about that, how how much more there is to it. Like if you're painting mural for a business, that there's so much more that you have to take into account when you decide what to do. It can't just be, oh, I like this, paint it. Yeah. Cause Was it hard for you when you turned art into a full-time job versus it's not just your hobby anymore? It's not just... You know, a lot of people, they say, you know, you, you, when that moment you turn your passion into a job, then you start to hate it or your right. hobby into a job, you start to hate it. Did that happen to you at all? Yeah. I actually thought about that before I quit my job a lot. Like, oh, I don't want to do this full time because then I would end up hating it. And there is a love hate relationship with it, obviously. 
but is also really thrilling and rewarding to actually do something you love. Like when I show up and paint, the good and the bad is I like there's no coworkers. I'm just by myself. And I think Shay explained this really well. Like when he said, Would you give advice to someone to do this? And he said, Don't do it. Like it takes a lot of kind of mental fortitude to not have coworkers to show up at a different place. And most of the time you're painting by yourself with headphones in for my, myself, just listen to music and you're by yourself and you have to create something like there is, it's kind of staggering to do that. And then once you start, you're like, Oh, I really enjoy this, but there is that hesitation and really like there's no other creative energy around you to inspire you to keep moving. Like sometimes with coworkers, you can get that, especially in the design field. Oh yeah. You and know, you, you can, can bounce, bounce ideas, ideas off, off of people yeah. and then you're just like, oh, I'm just here by myself and this is terrifying. It and it's I just all you. Don't get to tell anyone else that I'm terrified. But then you start doing it and- You just you, get into that groove. Yeah. And once you start painting, and I found this, like if I have an hour, I can't start painting. Like I need four or five hours because you you start once you start you don't want to turn that you know creativity off you want to keep going doing murals or at least outside murals the most rewarding thing well secondary to making the art is talking to strangers that happen to pass by I've had great conversations in Granary like homeless people would come by and just talk art with me when I was in uh, Sugar House. It was like taxicab confessions. People stop and tell me their life stories and I'm just an artist. But that interaction, I have no problem stopping what I'm doing to spend five minutes or 10 minutes or a half hour with someone listening to them. And that is probably the most rewarding thing in addition to like making art is talking to people in that community. I could imagine. What do you do when you don't feel like creating, right? I'm sure you have those moments, especially with well, I'm sure you have those moments. I know you have those moments because yeah. we all do. Because we're all human. Where do you right. where do you refine that creativity or what motivates you to keep going when you don't feel like creating? I definitely had had low points as an artist, as a human being, as a person. But I learned that those challenges actually will, there'll be inspiration at the bottom of that well. Like if you ever read uh, Marikami, he talks about wells all the time. But I think those moments when you're frustrated are actually very important as an artist. I see bodies of work from artists that I I admire and I follow. And it seems like from the outside, you know, Instagram and their website, you're like, wow, you are so prolific. You make so much art. But what no one sees and probably they will admit to as well is those months and weeks and that lost time that you're not making art because you're not inspired and I certainly have those. I think the hardest thing and the challenging thing is just get up and make art. And if you can do that, something will transpire. Something will happen. Some magic will be created. Like you said earlier, Chrissy, you're making something that's never existed before. That's daunting, but it's also very satisfying. Is there a medium that you would like to try, but you haven't tried yet? Is there something you would like to paint or? Yeah, spray cans. Spray um, cans. I just got my first order from a spray plant, Montana cans, and I incorporated acrylic and spray paint in my last mural. So I really want to get better at spray cans to cover more area, to do like blending, just to, the flow of it, the look of it. I'd really like to do that more often. I was terrified actually the first time. I mean, terrified, but I was really scared about creating something because I see what people can do and I want to go from... A to Z right off the bat, instead of, I'm like, oh, well, I've acrylic painted for 10 years. I got to have that same baby step mentality yeah. moving forward with, with other walls. But I'm, I would like to do larger walls, but I also need to get back in my studio and just create small pieces and one-off shows and be more creative. So are you going to like just incorporate spray paint into your smaller everyday projects to build the skill? Yeah. And I mean, this summer I just want to get some plywood sheets out in my backyard and just spray paint just so I can get the technique, the control, just to add it to my palette in case it's warranted. Right across the street here at Purgatory, Gary Swenson did the art. It's beautiful art. And it is all done with cans. He's incredible. I think the inside is acrylic, but outside is all cans, and it's incredible what they can do. 
if somebody has an interest, let's say we have a listener uh, that they, they, they want to start creating art, what would you recommend for them to do? Or, or do you think you need to take classes or do you think you can kind of teach yourself? Glad you asked. Yeah. This goes back to the stick figure question. So when I'm painting these giant walls, people say, oh my God, I can't never do that. The only thing I could do is a stick figure and it's complete horseshit. Because we all have done better than stick figures, but it seems to be the most common reply when I, when someone talks about their art. All of us, every single human creates when they're little. Everyone draws. When you go to restaurants, you give kids like crayons so they'll be quiet so adults can have adult time and they draw. Like and they're when, having a better time than the adults. Most likely, yes. Yeah. And when I worked in restaurants... I'd walk by a table and kids coloring, I'd say, for instance, like draw a dragon with a jetpack flying on Mars through his, like put cities in there and like treasure chests. And they're like, yeah, okay. And they just drew it. They did not care. There's no critique. There's no criticism. At some age for all of us, we judge ourselves against our peers. And I remember like growing up, like Lincoln Hoffman was so much better at art than me. And he would draw like incredible things for, you know, elementary school kids. But at some point between there and junior high or high school, we all critique ourselves and we think, well, we can't, I'm not as good as this person. I'm not good as this person. So we stop. And I tell people who say, stick figure, like, I can't do that. I'm like, you know what you're really good at? They're like, what? I'm like, getting up and working and paying your bills. And that is harder than drawing a stick figure. But that seems like the hardest challenge for people is to get back into that creativity mode and get back to not being judged and draw a stick figure, draw a dragon with a jetpack on, because that sounds cool. Like, do something, but we stop at, you know, the very basics, but we can all, like, you know, paint mixer night. Those things are great because they get people, one, inebriated, they don't have self-confidence issues anymore, and they can go out and create art. And that is really refreshing because as adults, we don't think the hardest thing in our life is, which is getting up and having adult relationships and paying bills and managing our lives. And we're scared to draw like that just seems kind of crazy. It's self-editing and the fear of shame from others is, is it's easier just not to do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which and is sad because a lot of us, we don't, we don't know a lot of our special talents unless you try. Yeah, yeah. you have to. And if anyone picked up and just drew or sketched, you know, it feels really good to yeah. create something. Even if it's really awful and no one ever looks at it, it still feels good, right? And it's still unique and it's still yeah. never been made before because it hadn't been made before. And that's still refreshing. It doesn't have to be, you know, like I was saying with spray paint, it doesn't have to be the best thing. It just has to be something. And then the more you do something, the more that'll come, you know, turn into further your ability, your, like your skill set. It just, you do something long enough. You know, they said 10,000 hours to be a master. I've done 10,000 hours of a lot of things. And that's the problem is I'm kind of all the tools are in the basket. I'm using all sorts of different skills. So I'm not proficient really at one or the other, but I'm trying Yeah, and I'm not afraid to try and fail. Let's switch gears here a little bit to Salt Lake City. We have a few Salt Lake City related questions that we like to ask people that come here and, and do the show. Josh, if somebody was visiting Salt Lake City, I'm sure you've had a buddy come to town and they've never been here. Is there something you would take them to to show them an area of town, a building? I don't know. Just what's the Josh tour? Uh, right off the bat, Fisher Brewery. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're celebrating two years in February 25th, actually coming up. They kind of set a, a model of a brewery without a kitchen. They have a different food truck there every day. So the menu changes every day. The open space, you know, seating, large communal tables. It just feels really good there. I would say check out Adnet's and uh, Max Mural at Feiss, the Lady Magdalene. It's, I think, one, you know, international artist, but also it's just iconic. Beer Bar, Bar X. That's just a fun corner right there anyway. Yeah, right there. Mm-hmm. Guthrie Studios and Copper yeah. Powell behind for Gallery Stroll. Like ninth and ninth, obviously. I grew up um, going to there. Went to all City CDs was there. And I, that's a while ago. You're it's old, a while that's ago. That's old school. <laughs> but I remember going to Sugar House when Ranch Records was there and Heavy yeah. Metal Shop. And 
you know, Sugar House still has an appeal. It's lost a lot of it through the development and redevelopment of the city, but um, Sugar House is still a great place to stroll, Liberty Park, all the things that we are at our foot, our doorstep, and we forget like they're there. I mean, I've been still working 25 years, so I'd take them to Brighton or I'd go, you know, there's a lot to see and do. Enzyme Peak, you know, when's the last time you walked up Enzyme Peak and seen the valley? Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of history right here and a lot of beautiful places. Um, and we're getting new, you know, coffee shops, craft breweries, eateries, food. What, what are some of your favorite? I always ask people this too. It's like uh, one or two of your favorite local eating spots. Park Cafe. There you go. Number one for my list. I've known Sean and Park Cafe for a long time. Um, it's my favorite place to go. feels like family when you walk in there. What Copper Kitchen and Copper Commons they're doing is wonderful as well. HSL. Um, I recommend that for anyone just to have beautiful food and treat yourself and Takashi for sushi. Would you change anything about Salt Lake City? <laughs> or are you okay with the way it is? I would change a lot. I think our disrespect of public lands is atrocious. I think our disrespect to indigenous tribes and our neglect of the reservations and the people that lived here before. I've always been and continue to be more of an advocate. Um, I'm very thankful to live on the land that I'm have with my house, but I am also respectful that that land was lived on by indigenous tribes. And I think that fight that we are having with public lands is astounding to me that we've put indigenous tribes and first nations people on reservations, basically land that we didn't had no use for as settlers. And then now that we have resources under them, we want to go back and turn on those treaties and say, no, actually, I do want that land back because there's some investment opportunities there. And the fight we're having with public lands, I think is like right when I finished uh, the Bears Ears mural, it was blessed by Carl Moore, who's a Hopi and Chinook tribe. And I met him at Columbus Day when we were getting Indigenous Peoples Day alongside Columbus Day, recognized. And I had him and his spiritual advisor, Butch, come down and bless the Bears National Monument. The next day, we had a rally up at the Capitol for public lands. And 10 days later, Trump drove by that Bears National Monument. I remember that day. And yeah. I got a photo of that sent from Fisher. And the irony that I finished that in time that he was driving by on the way to the Capitol to break up the National Park is some mysterious thing I can't understand, but that that's something I really know the politics here, you know, you can't get too wound up on it, but I believe that we're making progress and I want to stick to the positives and, and continue to do work in the community and advocate for the things I believe in. Christina always asks a final question, but I didn't know if there was something that you, I, I mean, I've had a heck of a conversation with you, Josh today, and I know we just skimmed the surface of everything that you're about, all your art. I'll put the website, your website at IamSaltLake.com with this episode show notes. Uh, but before she asked the final question, is there anything that you wanted to make sure to bring up, tell our listeners or share with our listeners or something that I didn't talk about? Again, I know we just skimmed the surface. I'm an advocate for a lot of things. Um, community activism is important to me. I believe like what I'm, I'm passionate about is our homelessness problem housing for uh, affordable housing for people as we have this boom, that it's also important to make things affordable for low income litter. I cannot talk enough about plastic bags and single use plastic bags and the, the, the need to ban those off the face of the planet as quickly as we can. So I'd like plastic bag ban, a bottle bill, a recycling program that goes to every corner of Utah and every County of Utah, make sure we work with, the youth, I'm a big advocate for the Volunteers of America Youth Shelter and getting teenagers and youth like opportunities and give them resources they need and make more art and skate parks. I'm a big proponent of skating and funding skate parks. Um, so the youth that, that may be at risk can still do something fun and creative and fund art, sports, like just the little things that people don't fund. We fund so many collegiate sports, but we don't fund individual sports. So as a city, I think 
Those are the big things. Art, litter, um, Skate parks. Skate parks. Well, you know, it's funny. You said that about skate parks. I remember, uh, I I think you and I are about the same age. And when I was, you know, my skateboarding prime in my teen years, we used to beg, build a skate park, build a skate park, and no city would do it, you know? Now, I mean, they are popping up though, you know, in in a lot of the cities. And now they see the the benefits of it. Sure. I mean, when you're saying you're tired from seven months of maybe possibly Chrissy, like getting a mural. It took me 15 years to get one in West Valley, like a skate park, like Man. 15 years. When I started at 21, 22, I had no, I, you know, I went in as a timid kid and like, can you please fund the skate park? You know, yeah. the city council. But after two mayors and the third mayor, after so many years, they knew me by name. Like I would show up every month to the city council meeting for 15 years and eventually got some zap money from Lake County, but West Valley eventually just paid a million dollars to build a skate park. They're like, just get rid of that. Yeah, guy. And it was we basically don't want to deal you're with just him. so annoying that they finally gave. And him finally, a and now it's out there, and it's, and it's the biggest awesome. one in Utah. And I fought for no fence because for some reason, elected officials feel like skateboarders one are a problem, mm-hmm. and two that it needs to be fenced or controlled in some way. I'm like, well, what other sports are fenced in because of delinquent behavior? None. Which, yeah. Why would skateboarding be excluded from that? Like, I never thought about that. Yeah. And so it has no fence. Um, I worked with the city a lot and worked with them for a long time and the developer and, and everything's not perfect and it doesn't have everything, but I wanted something that all abilities could go there, a beginner in advance and still have fun. And I was out there yesterday looking at the skate park and it's still there. So I'm a huge proponent of that and potentially might get the Olympic uh, vans is going to out with uh, the phone up some money yeah. and, and that seems like a done deal because we only have to put up like 300,000 like West Valley a million dollars but what i found is go to city council meetings and talk to them and realize that the money they're spending is your money it's not their money and as soon as you have that empowerment you can go there and say i want this changed i want this changed and besides boy scouts getting their mayor badges or one cranky i mean generalizing old man who didn't like chickens there's no one at city council meetings ever. And, you know, Salt Lake has a better reputation for that, but go and talk to your representatives to their face and say, I want this in my community. I want a skate park. I want, you know, if we use our voice, it's much stronger than allowing, you know, you can be disgruntled over something, but if you pay no participation in it, then you really, you don't have a soapbox to stand on. Like, Use your voice, get out there and activate like your community. And if you want something, go make it happen. On top of all the fabulous advice that you've given us, what's one motto or piece of life advice that you could leave with our listeners? I'm 40 now. I'm going to be 41 in April. The most important thing I've learned, and this is my motto, and this is my mantra that's helped me is be kind, be brave. Four words, be kind to everyone because everyone needs it. And that will generally get you in exactly the place you need to be and be brave because life is cruel and hard and you have to be brave. But those four words, my friend Skylar Chubak, I asked him to draw those for me. He's a beautiful penmanship and letterman. And he drew that and just says, be kind, be brave. And I was able to, then, that helped me, but I was able to copy that and give that out to people now. And so I try to live by that code and, and help other people like share that message. We're all in this together and there's no use battling or fighting each other. And, you know, we all need more kindness and more heart in our lives. And that's just really important to me. And I think it's the universal language that we need to share more often. I love it. Perfect. What's your website? One more time for people to uh, get a hold of you. What's the best way to do that? Yeah, so on, I mean, Instagram is just J Sherman. Uh, it's a German spelling. So S C H E U E R M A N. And then my website is joshsherman.com. Excellent. And again, I'll have that at IamSaltLake.com with this episode as well. So if you're driving and you didn't write that down, you can click over from there. Thank you so much, Josh, for coming and doing the show. It's been great getting to know you. I always tell people, let's catch up down the road. You know, it's fun to bring people back through the podcast. So thank you. Thank you for having me.
Many thanks again to Josh Sherman for joining us on this episode of the podcast. You can find out more about Josh and connect with him by visiting IamSaltLake.com forward slash 373. Before we jump into this week's weekly recommendations, I want to mention that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Podcasting is Easy. Full disclosure, this is Christina and Mai's company. This is something we do together. Not only do we podcast together, but we are helping you create the most amazing podcast possible. Head on over to podcastingiseasy.com to find out more about the services we offer. We offer everything from podcast editing to podcast logos, podcast websites, to some podcast coaching. You can actually hit the button in the far right-hand corner. It says 15-minute consultation. This will schedule a 15-minute phone call with us where we can sit down and diagnose Find out what your podcasting problems is and give you an example on what it would be like to work with us. Head on over to podcastingiseasy.com, find out more information, and of course, many thanks to Podcasting Is Easy for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. All right, it's time for weekly recommendations. I love this segment, though. It's so much fun to like just talk about things that we're doing and what we're enjoying. Isn't it though? Yeah, it's totally I always is. love to hear what your recommendation is. Do you? Oh, I like yours. I'm gonna let but, you go first. Oh, for sure. So my recommendation this week is Dreamscapes. It is it's only going until April 15th. It's a pop-up immersive art experience with it has like hidden doors and rooms that feel like you're in Narnia. And all the artwork is created from donated upcycled materials. So they had like a really low budget and it's just so creative. It's put on by the Urban Arts Gallery, so it's down in the gateway. Right on the first level there. I believe it's the old Gap building. Gap used to be in that building. So it's right, Copper Rivet, or not Copper Rivet, I don't know, where where Urban, the the flea uh, flea market, the art gallery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's right next to the art gallery. So um, you can find it on Facebook. Just look up Dreamscapes and, and see all the information, but it's something that everybody should get a chance to go see before they close it down. We got the opportunity to check it out like the night before it officially opened. Kind of the soft launch. I saw yeah. I saw an event on Facebook. I'm like, let's go check this out tonight. Yeah. Really cool. I'm with you on this, Christina. It was so cool. This is a great weekly recommendation. So excited that you recommended this. But like you said, it's only there till like April 15th. So yeah. go check it out. It kind of reminds me of that whole hall of breakfast thing. A little tour yeah. that you go through and you walk through a maze and every time you turn a corner, it's like, whoa, this is different. You've tried to figure out where you're going. and This and is a perfect date idea. It is. The thing to keep in mind is that it the creativity of people to take zero budget and only upcycled materials and create something this expansive is just crazy. So what's your recommendation for this My week? My weekly recommendation is, well, the Utah Podcast Summit. It's not until June 8th, right? But We've been, we just got back from PodFest this last week. We actually just recorded a really great episode of Meet the Hollifields where we gave our rundown of PodFest, but I was in the mood to recommend some sort of podcast conference. The next one that we're going to be going to, of course, is the Utah Podcast Summit happening June 8th, all day Saturday. UtahPodcastSummit.com is where you can find out more about it, but we're going to be part of what they're doing this year, the Hall of Experts. Which I love this idea. I think it's so great. I think it's a great idea because especially myself, when I tend to go to these podcast conference, people kind of corner me in the room and they're like, I want to pick your brain and Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Well, this is going to be your guys' opportunity. Uh, There's going to be quite a few of us. I know you're going to be in there talking about graphics and logos. Yeah. Yep. And any any kind of like tech side of podcasting like that. And then I'll just be chatting. You'll just be there for everything because you know everything. But if you are a podcaster... If you're looking to start a podcast, you got to go hang out with other podcasters. There's mm-hmm. something, some sort of energy. Oh, yeah. The, that, cr- the creative juices that flow when you get around other podcasters is undeniable. Like you cannot do it by yourself. So I'm, I'm loving this. And actually, we have a promo code that you can use. If you use the promo code, I am Salt Lake, this is actually going to get you $20 off your ticket. So now you have no excuse not to come, right, guys? So that's my weekly recommendation, Utah Podcast Summit. And that's going to do it for this episode. Don't forget to support our show sponsors, Market Source Real Estate, Five Wives Vodka, and Podcasting is Easy. Because when you're supporting them, you're also supporting us. We'll have links for them at our website and under the notes for this episode, which you can find at IamSaltLake.com. Hey, if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the podcast, or if you're just a listener and you want to say hello... Make sure to send us an email at hello at IamSaltLake.com. 
And you can always send us letters or postcards or cookies to P.O. Box 4412, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84110. If you're sending cookies, make sure they're keto cookies, right? No. Or make sure they're not because then I can eat them all. <laughs> hey, you guys have a great week. Get out and enjoy the city. Support local. And we're going to see you right back here on the next episode. And good night, Grammy. Thank you.